Hi, this is Veronica Red, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcoming you to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television that will welcome Ray Richmond in our second hour. Ray Richmond, longtime television critic, columnist, and reporter for many publications in the entertainment industry, including Daily Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, and Deadline Hollywood. Ray's latest book not only celebrates the life and career of Betty White, but shows why she is probably the most versatile performer ever to grace our television screens. Betty White, of course, will turn 100 years old on January 17th. Ray Richmond will join us in our second hour. We hope you join us for that. In the meantime, we'll open up our first hour by welcoming back our friend Mark Shaw. Mark Shaw, investigative reporter, former criminal defense attorney, and legal analyst for CNN, ESPN, and USA Today. Mark Shaw, also the author of 25 books, more than 25 books, including the reporter who knew too much the life and career of Dorothy Kilgallen, the Pulitzer Prize-nominated newspaper columnist and panelist on What's My Line, whose mysterious death in November 1965 remains unsolved to this day. Mark's latest book, Collateral Damage, not only reveals more than 50 similarities between the lives and deaths of Dorothy Kilgallen and another female icon of the early 1960s film legend Marilyn Monroe, but makes the argument that the connections between Dorothy Kilgallen, Marilyn Monroe, and John Kennedy, and specifically the ambitions of Kennedy patriarch Joseph Kennedy and the war against the mob that Robert Kennedy waged in the early 1960s, ultimately led to the demise of all three people. We will tell you more about collateral damage in just a second. But first, Mark Shaw, welcome back to our program. Thanks so much, Ed. Appreciate it. Collateral damage is essentially the second sequel to The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, or or perhaps more accurately, it is the third book in your Dorothy Kilgallen trilogy, in between Uh, In between your appearances on our program, you wrote a book called Denial of Justice, which follows up on your efforts to reopen the investigation of Dorothy Kilgallen's death. What sparked your interest in Dorothy Kilgallen originally? Well, originally, uh, you know, it's amazing because uh, I was working on something today where I don't don't know if uh, you know this, but I've been honored uh, recently by my alma mater, Purdue University. It took me six years to get through that. Uh, and when they called and told me they wanted to archive my body of work, I told them I thought they had the, the wrong person, but they're going to do that. And so I've been sending boxes of material to them all the way back to my criminal defense days and television days and, and then the books that I've written. And I had to go ahead and kind of give them an idea of, of uh, what happened, which uh, borders on the question you just asked. I never knew anything about Dorothy, Ed, as you may remember. I just only knew that she was uh, the star panelist on What's My Line, the television show uh, that was on CBS for about, I think, 15 years. Ten million people watched that show every Sunday night live from New York. And Dorothy was kind of the star uh, panelist on that show. Remember, they guessed uh, unusual occupations by people, a famous, the first uh, female uh, woman writer for the NFL, the, uh, a guy who owned a wax museum. They had all of that, but Dorothy was the star and so that's all I knew about her until I investigated, researched, and then wrote a book about Melvin Belli, the uh, famous San Francisco attorney uh, who was Jack Ruby's lawyer. 
And uh, while researching that book, uh, I was told that, wait a minute, uh, Melvin Belli knew Dorothy Kilgallen, and I thought they were talking about what's my line, but this guy, this doctor that I was talking to said, no, you know nothing about her, Mark. She's an amazing woman. Sure, she was on What's My Line, but she had a syndicated newspaper column to 300 newspapers across the country. Uh, she had a radio show with her husband, listened to by a million people a day. She uh, covered the uh, Dr. Sam Shepard case, which became the, the fugitive movie, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, and the Jack Ruby trial. Well, that perked up my ears, as I think it would with you, Ed, because you're a curious guy and always trying to figure out what's going on with things like that. So I started to investigate Dorothy's life and times, research that. And what I found out was that uh, she really is, and, and nobody's ever disputed this, the most credible reporter to have ever uh, investigated the JFK assassination. She was at the trial of Jack Ruby. She was the only reporter to have interviewed him uh, there. Uh, a number of other things went on, and then Dorothy had basically pieced together that there was a plot to kill JFK. She wrote many columns about that that are available at the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. The Oswald file must not close was the first one. And so she was getting, uh, as, she, as she told friends and, and family and all of that, at the end of 1965, she was getting close, she said, uh, to cracking the JFK assassination uh, apart and, and figure out and let people know what she felt like was the truth. It pointed towards a mafioso in New Orleans who was double-crossed by Joe Kennedy when Marcello and his gangsters helped uh, the, the Kennedys win the 1960 election. They were going to lose it, and uh, they called those guys in. They helped them win Illinois and West Virginia, and the deal was if they helped them win, which they did, they'd leave those guys alone. But Bobby Kennedy, as you kind of mentioned, went after them, and uh, the double cross there, and I, I started looking at the JFK assassination through Dorothy's eyes, because how she did it was to think about, instead of why JFK was killed, why Bobby Kennedy wasn't killed, instead of why JFK was, because as I was told uh, by the Ruby prosecutor, Bill Alexander, Bobby had many more enemies, and that was true. So she was about ready to crack the case. She was writing a book for Random House, and then unfortunately, at the age of 52, on November 8, 1965, she was found in a in a bedroom she never slept in in her townhouse, so wearing her makeup, eyelashes, and a hairpiece. It was uh, obviously a staged death scene, but when they got there, they saw uh, an empty bottle of Secondol, the sleeping pills, and right away, Presto decided that she was another celebrity who had overdosed, and that was the verdict, and uh, that's what was in the newspaper. And so uh, until I started researching the case to show uh, that uh, she didn't overdose on drugs. She was actually poisoned with three barbiturates, not one, based on the autopsy, uh, that uh, Dorothy Kilgallen was indeed the reporter who knew too much and uh, had to be silenced because she uh, was threatening to expose Marcello as well for, for orchestrating the assassination and also J. Edgar Hoover for covering up. Well, it was amazing because, just like me, so many people didn't know who Dorothy was, but that book ended up being a bestseller. And then, as I say, as you said, I wrote Denial of Justice, which had the Jack Ruby trial transcripts in there. And frankly, Ed, I think you'll find it interesting. I was not going to write this new book, Collateral Damage, and I can explain to you why. Before we do that, uh, Mark Shaw is on the line with us. Mark has written more than 25 books, including The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and Denial of Justice, both of which are available through Post Hill Press, as well as Amazon.com. Mark's latest book, 
collateral damage, the mysterious deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen and the ties that bind them to Robert Kennedy and the JFK assassination. Also available, Post Hill Press, Amazon.com, where the books are sold online. For more on Mark, Mark Shaw. Books.com for more on Dorothy Kilgallen and the Dorothy Kilgallen story.org. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Okay, you teased how you did not intend to write collateral damage, but at some point, you I'm going to assume that at some point along the line, you made uh, you stumbled onto this. Um, well, maybe maybe not stumbled on is the right word because you're a pretty deliberate guy. So, uh, and if, if you read Mark's books, you'll understand why. But when did you first discover the connection between yeah. Marilyn Monroe, Kilgallen, and JFK and Bobby Kennedy, and how did you piece it all together? Well, it's most interesting because uh, I had written the books about Dorothy and the JFK assassination. I thought that was enough. Uh, they're true crime murder mysteries, the, 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 book, the books about Dorothy and everything. Um, and I'm a historian, though, and so uh, I kept hearing from my readers around the world, just like I hope I'll hear from uh, listeners of your program, Ed. I get tips, people give me information, all of that kind of thing. But they ask a, kept asking the same question. Is there a connection between the life and times and death of uh, Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen? And I did not think there was. But I decided finally to look into it, and the first thing I came up with, it's over here on my wall by my writing table, is a photograph of Marilyn and Dorothy. They were at 20th Century Fox uh, Studios in 1960, looking happy on the set of a Marilyn Monroe film. So that made me know that they knew each other. And then I kept trying to figure out in my own mind, I'd always heard that the verdict on Marilyn was that she had committed suicide. But in some ways, I always wondered if that was really true or not, that you know, it just didn't seem to me like, I didn't know a lot about her, but it just didn't seem to me like that a woman who was kind of at the top of her career uh, would have even considered doing something like that. So the real key here, and I think this happens with any stories that you've written about or, or you, you really feel like, wait a minute, this all doesn't make sense, there was an aha moment. And it was a column that Dorothy had written called Marilyn Monroe Has Hollywood Talking Again. And it was actually on August the 1st, 1962, which is just three days before Marilyn died. And, Dor and Marilyn wrote in part, Marilyn Monroe's health must be improving. She's been attending select Hollywood parties and has become the talk of the town again. And she's cooking in the sex appeal department, too. She's proved vastly allursing to a handsome gentleman who is a bigger name than Joe DiMaggio in his heyday. So don't write off Marilyn as finished. Now, Joe DiMaggio, your listeners may recall, the, the great baseball player, but that was Marilyn's second wife. They did divorce. But I, I was really quizzical because this did not sound to me like somebody who is in any sort of a mental state who would have committed suicide. They said that she ingested about 50 barbiturate pills uh, between about 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock at night on the night she died. There were some questions about that that I finally found, but that just didn't sound like that type of a person. And then I found uh, the autopsy and the certificate of death for Marilyn, and uh, those were at the National Archives. Uh, it's amazing. I'm not the greatest researcher in the world, but these things were out there. Nobody just ever tried to look for them. Yeah. But at 10 o'clock in the morning after uh, Marilyn died of a, a supposedly committing suicide, the result of the, of the autopsy was overdose of barbiturates. 
At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, just that many hours after she died, they changed it on the certificate of death to suicide. Well, that made me really wonder what the hell was going on. And then Dorothy wrote another one of her columns, Ed, and basically it talked about the questions that readers had sent in to her and questions she had herself about the suicide. Why was the light on on, in Marilyn's um, room when she died? She slept in the dark. Why was she found nude? She didn't sleep in the nude. Um, Why wasn't there a glass uh, found in the bedroom? How could she have ingested all these pills if, in fact, she did so without water? And so she asked all these questions, and I started then asking the same questions. So I came up with the idea that, hey, uh, if Marilyn Monroe did not commit suicide, then what could have happened to her? And who is this handsome gentleman who is a bigger name than Joe DiMaggio in his heyday? Well, like you, Ed, I think uh, you would have turned, as I did, to John Kennedy, Mm -hmm. because it was common knowledge that uh, after Marilyn sang Happy Birthday uh, to uh, John Kennedy on his 45th birthday at Madison Square Garden, he and Marilyn had a love affair. There's a photograph that's in the book. Uh, It's the two Kennedys, Bobby and Jack. Uh, with their backs kind of the camera, and Marilyn is standing there. They both look like they amazed at how great she looks. And so I looked into John Kennedy. I thought, well, maybe he was involved in the death, but I found out that was a very uh, short-lived love affair. Joe Kennedy told uh, Jack, hey, you're going to run for president in 64, so get away from her. So I thought, well, who's the second most powerful man in the United States? And that was Bobby Kennedy. And that opened up the proverbial... Uh, Pandora's box because I started finding out that uh, Marilyn, and this is not something that a lot of people knew, had a very torrid love affair, according to a CIA document that I had, with Marilyn Monroe all through the summer of 1962. That he was in Los Angeles on the day she died, I proved that through a ledger over at 20th Century Fox where he landed on a heli- in a helicopter on that day. I found a Beverly Hills Police Department's account that he stopped a, a car Um, on Wilshire Boulevard, and you're familiar with that, going Mm -hmm. 75 and a 30, and the driver of the car was Peter Lawford, (laughs) who was the brother-in-law of both Jack and and Bobby Kennedy, and Bobby Kennedy was in the back seat. And so I was able to find out then that the the week before Marilyn's death, there was an event up at Lake Tahoe. It's called the Calneva Club, and um, Peter Lawford was there. Frank Sinatra was there. There were a lot of other people there. Sam Giancana, the gangster, was there. There were accounts that Bobby Kennedy was there as well and all of that. And Marilyn got the idea that they'd ask her up there to kind of pass her around, as she told a friend, like a piece of meat. And Marilyn then made the biggest uh, mistake of her life. Just, in, in fact, a similarity with Dorothy Kilgallen, because she told too many people that she was going to crack the JFK assassination. She told one hairdresser, if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination would cost me my life. She said she bought a gun and was afraid for her family because she was going to do a tell-all book for Random House. Well, Marilyn made the mistake of saying, okay, I've had it with you guys, you Kennedys. I'm going to the media with this. Well, she came back to, to Los Angeles, and I was able to prove in the collateral damage book that uh, Peter Lawford and Bobby Kennedy came to her home on August 4th, 1962, in the afternoon, and begged her not to go to the media. And why did they do that? Well, one reason would have been that she would talk about the love affairs with both Kennedys. But I found a CIA document that had actually been written about two days before Marilyn died. It talked about the torrid love affair with Bobby Kennedy and Marilyn, but also 
uh, it mentioned that Maryland was going to tell the media about matters of national security that John Kennedy had shared with her having to do with his plan to have Fidel Castro uh, assassinated. Well, you can imagine, Ed, those are not things that the Kennedys could have allowed to go ahead and be given to the media, especially the matters of national security. Uh, both of those uh, Kennedys' uh, careers would probably have been ruined, uh, for sure, about yeah, the there's, there's there's pillow talk. And there's pillow talk, and it sounds right. like Kennedy made, a, made an error. Well, I, think, I think they were trying to impress her, probably, yeah. you know, whatever. But she told them, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the media with this. I've had it with you guys. Well, the details are all in the book, but I was able to prove that Marilyn Monroe, first of all, did not commit suicide. There's no way that she did that. But also that the biggest motive, the strongest motive for silencing Marilyn Monroe uh, was through Bobby Kennedy and through operatives of his, and I've just gotten another new account of what happened that night, I pieced together the scenario under which they came to the home, they begged her uh, to, to go to the media, they left, and then Bobby Kennedy's operatives came into that home, and I'm not going to get into exactly how uh, Marilyn Monroe was killed, but suffice it to say, uh, she never ingested all those pills, so the barbiturates uh, were ingested into her body in a different way. And, you know, what, what really, um, another similarity here, of course, was the fact there was the autopsy in Dorothy Kilgallen's death was uh, bogus. Uh, they only found one barbiturate in her system, and I found three, which pointed to murder. In Marilyn's death, the uh, autopsy was performed, and you'll know this name, by Dr. Thomas Noguchi, who mm -hmm. handled the OJ and all the other, you know, Natalie Wood, all those cases. And believe it or not, this is what shocked me the most probably about my research, is that he conducted his autopsy, and he came back with the fact that she had committed suicide and all of that. And then, two weeks later, he actually admitted in an interview that he had made a mistake. He had forgotten to look at certain internal organs of Marilyn Monroe, including her intestines and some other things, and, and that he just forgot to do so. And by the time he realized that and go, uh, went to try to find them, they had been destroyed. Now, this is the, the most, one of the most famous women in the world, if not the most famous, and he botched the autopsy there, just as had been done in Dorothy Kilgallen's case. And also, as I think you probably know, the same thing happened in JFK's death. So the all three deaths are connected. And what I came up with was this conclusion, and I want to see what you think of it. And that is, if Bobby Kennedy would have been uh, prosecuted in 1962 for his complicity in Marilyn Monroe's death, based on all of the evidence that I have in the book here and that was available then, then he would have been rendered powerless. And the only reason that JFK was killed was because those gangsters needed to get Bobby Kennedy off their backs, and if they killed Bobby Kennedy, JFK would come after them with everything the government had, but if they killed JFK, Bobby would be powerless, and that's what happened back in 1963. This time, if Bobby would have been prosecuted, he would have been powerless already. There would have been no JFK assassination at all, and then you stretch that on into the fact that Dorothy Kilgallen would not have been murdered in 1965 because there would have been no JFK assassination uh, for her to have investigated. So the collateral damage here of Bobby Kennedy's abuse of power and everything in 1961 and 62 uh, directly led to, I believe, and I think I've proven it, uh, to the deaths of uh, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, and John F. Kennedy. Mark Shaw's on the line with us. Mark Shaw, investigative reporter, 
former criminal defense attorney and former legal analyst for CNN, ESPN, and USA Today. Mark's latest book, Collateral Damage, The Mysterious Deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen and the Ties that Bind Them to Robert Kennedy and the JFK Assassination, available Amazon.com, MarkShawBooks.com, DorothyKilgallen.org, wherever books are sold online. We'll talk some more with Mark Shaw after this quick time out here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.